back in uh, in Luke chapter 15, the familiar story to many of us is the story of the of the prodigal son. Uh, and before that, we have the story of the lost coin, and before that, we have the story of the lost sheep. In the first few verses of Luke 15, just struck me once again that that Jesus was willing to leave the 99 behind to go after the one. And it's just the 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 challenge for me as a Christian, but the challenge for me as a church leader is what resources are we putting in to to pursuing the one? Jesus was willing. Jesus was willing to leave all of the all of that the, the stuff that took that had to be done with the ninety nine to, to go and pursue the one. And there's something of the the challenge of how Jesus used his time and his energy and his resources in pursuing the one that uh, has been incredibly challenging to me this week. Uh, I've been really grateful the last couple of Sundays. Um, Neville shared last last uh, Sunday. Uh, I only managed to get listened to it, only managed to get listened to it last night. And uh, towards the end, he was talking a wee bit about about broadband, a wee bit about waiting. Go and go and put yourself in a queue at a at a in a shop and see how impatient you are, how the struggle with waiting. And uh, and even with broadband, what happens when your broadband goes down and the frustrations, the impatience that we have because we don't want to wait any longer. And uh, and so all week we have uh, we find ourselves with no broadband. And uh, and you know what? It's been really good. It's been really. It feels like it's been really healthy for us. Um, one of the things that struck me is that I I just don't need it. Haven't needed. Haven't needed it at all. The sad thing is that it's going to be it's going to be back in the house on Wednesday or Thursday, and I'll go back to the same old patterns. Please no, Lord. And then the week before, Neville uh, Amy shared some stuff in Ephesians chapter four. And uh, I love the book of Ephesians. For myself, just uh, reading over some of the some of the things that Jesus or that Paul says about the church in his letter to the church in Ephesus. And in, in, in chapter three, in chapter three of Ephesians, he he tells us of this twofold uh, this twofold ministry that he had been given. And this was revelation for Paul. This was revelation. Something that had been kept hidden for centuries was now has now been revealed. And it was revealed to Paul, and it's revealed for our benefit even today. And the twofold ministry of Paul was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and it was also to reveal the administration of, of, of the mystery, the administration of mystery which was that the church would be the manifold wisdom of God to principalities and powers. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to rulers and authorities. This is not stuff that was always known. This is stuff that was a revelation to Paul for for the early church and for us today, that the manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known through the church, and it's going to be made known everywhere, even to the principalities and powers, to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. And as the book goes, as the letter goes on, we get to Ephesians four, where Amy brought us through so well last 
a couple of weeks ago and just once again reminded that he has given us all that we need to see the job done. He has given us all that we need to see the job done. And just in case you don't know, we are unashamedly a, a church that believes and is pursuing the fivefold ministry. The fivefold giftings, we believe, are they're here for us. They're here for us now to get the job done. He has given, he is, the church is the manifold wisdom of God being made known to everyone, everywhere. And he has given us as the church all that we need to get the job done. And the few verses in Ephesians chapter 4 have, uh, are incredibly significant to me. Personally, I, uh, I love Ephesians chapter 4. I think it's my favorite chapter in the Bible. Although, as I always say, ask me next week and there'll probably be a different favorite chapter. But uh, Ephesians chapter 4, even those first six verses, and Amy brought us through that a couple of weeks ago and uh, and I don't embarrass myself by trying to compare, compete with Amy's wonderful um, taking us through that, but making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit because there's only one Father. There's only one Lord of all. When I had the, of the, chance, the privilege of sharing with the interns uh, over the last number of Thursdays, and reminding us once again that, that as, uh, as the Father looks on his people, he sees one bride. And this morning, even though we're meeting different buildings, as he looks upon his church today, he sees one body. He's coming back for one body. And that's why I love Ephesians chapter 4, because it takes us back to that place where we... Are we remind ourselves that there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one spirit, there's one Father and Lord of all. And I want to live like that's true. And as naive as sometimes I feel like it sounds, I want to live the rest of my life that that statement of Paul's is true that I would live my life in such a way that there is one Father and Lord of all. I want to make every effort to keep unity. And that's what I want to talk a wee bit about today as we continue on in this, in our series, Who is My Neighbor? This morning, I want us to think a wee bit about the church, what it is to be the family of believers. Next week is Mother's Day. We're going to talk a wee bit about, about family. We're going to talk about those that we spend more time with than anybody else. The week after that, uh, our friend Mark Knox, who set up uh, a Spire charity, uh, is planted in the heart of Craigavon, a missional community known as CARA. And, uh, and Mark's going to be with us the week after that. And then the week after that is the 25th of March in Homero, from Jordan is going to be with us and, uh, and speaking about his work with uh, refugees in Jordan and Iraq and Syria and speaking a wee bit about how uh, they have treated them as neighbors and how God has blessed and rewarded and really been ever so present in their ministry out in Jordan. So that's where we're going to be over the next, uh, next few weeks. So the last time I spoke, I shared about... about Listening, the importance of listening. It's a real personal journey that I'm on. Just, I really want, really want it to be said that I listened well. As I think about my relationship with God, I want, it, I want Him to see as He looks, looks upon me, as He, 
as he sees me trying to wrestle and engage with this journey of faith that I'm on, I want to be one that listens well. I don't want my prayer time, I don't want my devotional time to be filled with, with, with just me speaking. I want to be one that will listen well. And as, my, as it comes to my interaction with family, as it comes to interaction with, with, with you guys, and it comes to interaction with, with my neighbors and the community around me, I want it to be said that I listen well. A few things that we touched on a few weeks ago is that we would listen before speaking. James chapter 1 gives us good advice. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. The Proverbs, Proverbs 18 has that verse that answering, answering before listening is both stupid and rude. As Eugene Peterson puts it in the message version. Listening before speaking, we, we've talked some stuff around that and we, we've talked about listening before labeling. We spoke about those within our communities that that uh, they just want to be listened to. We, we talked about the BBC, the, the article that was in the BBC News, that two-thirds of people uh, within our communities had said have no, one, have no one to talk to, have no one that is willing to listen. And there's different people that make up our communities. There's different people that, that uh, different personalities at the school gates whenever we arrive and and different uh, within our community, there's different political persuasions. There's is different sexual orientations. There's there's uh, there's all of this vast array of of beliefs and behaviours. And I just think that God has taken me up, me, and I'm challenging you that He's taken us on a journey of being able to listen before labelling, being willing to listen before labelling. I encouraged you as I've encouraged myself that you would that you would refuse to assume anything. That before that you before taking the time to listen people to people that you would refuse to assume and that you would give your attention. And we talked about some of that stuff a few weeks ago and and uh, and really I was I was I was referring to people that we rub shoulders with in our communities. People that maybe are far from Jesus, people that are maybe on a on a different journey that we are on, but, but encouraging you nonetheless to be one that would listen before speaking, that would listen before labeling, that would refuse to assume. But over the course of this week, I, I found myself, I found God just drawing my attention once again to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. And Paul, again, writing, to the, writing, to the, writing this letter, says in Galatians 6, verse 10, Do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And that's who I want to think about as we consider our neighbor today, as we continue to, to ask that question, who is my neighbor? I'd love us to have in our minds today the, the family of believers. A few weeks ago, we're, we're, we're speaking that we want to do good to all people. But this week I want to narrow it in a wee bit, especially to those who are belong to the family of believers. Maybe some of your versions will say uh, the household of faith. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I too often have been guilty of speaking 
of one another, whether that's a, an individual, an individual believer or a denomination in a way that somehow I have allowed to become acceptable. The challenge to the, to the church today is do we sometimes speak of one another, whether individuals or denominations, in a way that we have allowed to become acceptable? I'd love, I'd love us to turn to John 17 together. And if you've been here long enough, you know that I often bring, bring you back to John 17. I just find myself that that's where the Father keeps making sure that I get back and ground myself in the prayer of Jesus in John 17. And in John 17, if, you, if your Bible's like mine, it'll have the headings above each little subsection. At the start of John 17, it says, Jesus prays for himself. And uh, in verse 6, it says that Jesus prays for his disciples. And then in verse 20, the little heading is that Jesus prays for all believers. And so let me read, let me read three or four verses. Remember, as we are reading these words, this is the prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father concerning us. Concerning us that would believe in the message that was passed down from the disciples. As he starts out verse 20 by saying, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I'm hoping that even reading through, through the words of Jesus that there's something that just sticks out. And I want to read it again so that that thing that sticks out would just uh, be affirmed in you one more time. My prayer for them is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. And may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved me. I love them even as you have loved me. And there's times where I feel like I'm being incredibly naive. There's times where I, I, I witness and I'm part of the problem in how we speak of one another, how we speak of those that are part of the family of believers. But yet, I still feel like I'm naive enough. I still feel like I'm simple enough to believe that I can see in my lifetime the prayer of Jesus being answered. Because as I read this prayer of Jesus, it feels like as, as, as almost 
it doesn't feel right in saying it, but it feels like it's the unanswered prayer. It's the great unanswered prayer of Jesus. There's times where I feel, there's times where I feel bold enough. There's times where I feel, where I feel I'm happy in my naivety to believe that I can give my life to see this His prayer being answered. See, I think this is so, so important. And if I'm, if I'm repeating some stuff that you've heard me say before, this is one of the occasions where I am not going to say sorry. I don't apologize for repeating myself when it comes to this matter because it's the prayer, it's the heart, it's one of the deepest desires of Jesus before he went to the cross. And in First John chapter 4, verse 19 to 21, you don't have to go there, but if you want to take note of the importance of what we're talking about, John, in his letter, his first letter, in chapter 4, verse 19, says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. That's what I, so if anyone, if anyone says, I love God, yet speaks, speaks unkindly of his brother, he is a liar. If anyone says that he loves God, yet, yet judges and criticizes his brother, he's a liar. You keep going on. Anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, I think this is really important. I think this is a really important conversation to have. I think this is a really important thing for us to wrestle through with. If we want our message and our testimony to have any integrity at all, to have any influence whatsoever, we're going to have to really consider how we treat and speak of those that are in the part of the family of believers, those that are our brothers and sisters. See, Neville touched on it at the very beginning last Sunday that our reputation is not always the greatest in front of a watching world. And I often think it's because of our treatment of one another. It's because of what we're willing to say about one another that we, that we begin to lose our integrity. We begin to lose our potential influence. And I think we could almost touch on every one of Paul's letters. Everything that Paul wanted, Paul wanted to say to the churches so much was around this language of loving one another. In, in, the, in the letter to, Rome, to the church in Rome, in Romans 12, verse 5, he, he said, remember this, we belong to one another. We belong to one another. And again, I don't know about you. Let me just invite you in on some of the things that, that, I, that I wrestle with, that I find, I, I, as, I, as I begin to listen. One of the things that I've really learned as I've begun to, to try and listen better is to actually listen to my own emotions. It's actually listen to my own train of thought and sometimes as I listen to the train of thought I become aware that I get so tense I can get so uptight when someone within the family of believers thinks differently than I do I find myself getting tense I find myself getting anxious when somebody that is a brother or sister that has said yes to Jesus understands a certain doctrine differently than me find myself just wrestling through some of that. And 
I'm not always great. I'm not always great at it. But over the last number of months, I've found the benefit of listening and engaging with people who have a different opinion than I do. I've truly found the benefit of listening, engaging with people of different opinions. And again, Neville brought us to Neville brought us to Luke chapter nine last week. And there's two there's two times in, in Luke chapter nine where, where the disciples are walking along and they see they see people they see people uh, let me just make I don't want to don't wanna misquote the Bible. They're walking along, Master, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not one of us. Jesus said, don't stop him because whoever is not against you is for you. And a little later, the, the next few verses, uh, James and John said to Jesus, Lord, you want us to call down from fire from heaven and destroy them. And Jesus actually turned and rebuked them and they went to another village. See, like the disciples in Luke chapter 9. And I've found myself, maybe not as, maybe not as obvious as this. For me, I, I, I have managed to make it slightly more subtle. But as I read through Luke chapter 9, I, I am reminded. I see that I often am like the disciples in this story. My train of thought is something similar to the disciples in Luke chapter 9. Because like, the, like John, I want those that, that think differently, that hold a certain doctrine differently than I do, that understand it differently than I do. I want them exposed. I want them told that they're wrong. And Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't satisfy that need in the disciples, and he doesn't satisfy it in me. And I have this need that wants, that if I, if I see something differently than somebody else, well, Jesus, I want you to expose them. I want you to make sure that they know that they're wrong and that I'm not. It seemed to be this inbuilt nature within me and maybe, maybe within you. And Jesus just will not satisfy that unhealthy desire that is in us. See, Luke 10 is where we are basing, our, basing this whole series on. When the man, when the teacher stood stood before Jesus wanting to justify himself and asked, who is my neighbor? As we go a chap- if we were to go a chapter on, we see, we see Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, speaking to these religious leaders. He tells them, woe to you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you've, you've, given, your, you've given your tenth. You've, you've done your duties, but you've neglected justice. And you've neglected the love of God. And there's, a, there's an expert in the law that stands up to try to d- defend the Pharisees. To try to defend the, these religious leaders. And in verse 52 of chapter 11, Jesus turns to him. This man has tried to stand up and defend him and says, Because you have taken away the key to knowledge, you yourselves have not entered. And you have hindered those who were entering. Too often I, I feel like I, I miss out on what he wants to do in me and through me because of this struggle to engage really well with people that have whole different opinions than I do. And what I end up doing, I think, is, is run the risk of being like one of these teachers, 
one of these experts in the law where I end up missing it and I actually hinder others from entering in to it as well. And I think we can do that. I think there's a possibility within the church that we can do that. We can miss it ourselves. We've got all, we've got all our religious duties right. We've got all our doctrines, every I dotted and every T crossed, but we've neglected justice. We've, we've neglected the love of God. We've missed entering in and we've prevented others from entering in too. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. God does not will that I should fashion the other person according to the image that seems good to me. That is in my own image. God does not will that I should fashion the other person according to the image that seems good to me. That is in my own image. And so too often we, we are unwilling to listen because it clashes with our assumptions. Too often we're unwilling to listen because it clashes with our closely held traditions. And I hope you know me well enough that, that, that there's things that we hold really fast to. There's things that we hold really tightly. There's, there's areas that we are unwilling to listen to people who are part of the family of faith because it clashes with the things that we have, we have just simply assumed. Because it clashes with the things, the traditions, the man-made traditions that we have closely held. And I know that some of this stuff applies to, to anyone that you engage with. But I want you to think through, I want you to, to, to think about it uh, with the family of believers in mind, with brothers and sisters with our brothers and sisters who are meeting in the Presbyterian and the Church of Ireland and the Quakers and the Elam and the Methodist and any other denomination that, that you know or have friends that are a part of. I want it to apply to, to anyone, but I want it to challenge us within the family of believers. Because I've come to realize that listening for understanding and judging at the same time. They cannot coexist. So I'm continuing, I suppose what I'm saying is I'm continuing to, to, to invite you in in this, this, uh, this journey of being a people that will listen better. To listen for understanding. To lay aside your assumptions to, for a moment, to lay aside your closely held traditions and listen for understanding. Because I've, I've realized as I listen to myself, as I listen to what's going on in my own head, I've realized that I cannot listen for understanding and judge someone at the same time. The two things cannot coexist. Listening for understanding and judging, they cannot coexist. So as it comes to the family of believers and the challenge to us as we engage well with, with people that are part of the family of faith, listen for understanding. Don't evaluate, don't criticize what, the others, what others are saying because while you do that, you can't listen. If you evaluate and critique what they're saying, you'll never listen. The other thing that applies to everyone, but I want to challenge you with the, within the family of believers that listening for understanding is slow. Listening for understanding, it can be a slow process. A good listener believes, I don't know who, I don't know who said this, but a good listener believes in taking the long route. 
And, and in fact, that's why, many, that's why many of us decide not to do it. Because it's a slow process. It involves taking the long route. But I want to encourage you within the family of believers, those that maybe think differently than you, those that maybe hold to certain things, understand things differently than you see them, I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you. I think it will be really helpful and beneficial for you to listen for understanding. There's a guy by the name of E. Stanley Jones said, said this, the measure of my spirit of criticism is the measure of my distance from Christ. The measure of my spirit of criticism is the measure of my distance from Christ. And I remember, and I remember reading that quote not so long ago, and it was one of those ones that stung. Because too often I think, well, my critique and my criticism is, well, I, I think I'm, I'm defending the faith. I'm doing, I'm doing God a favor. But actually, as I begin to search my own heart, as I begin to engage with where I'm at, the more critical that I am, the further that I've drifted from him. The more willing that I am to criticize those that are, that are part of the family of believers, I've realized the further that I've walked from Jesus. That the, more, the greater distance that has came between us. And I know that this is, there, there's language in the, in the political sphere, and not to make any political comment, but there's language that I hate, and it's red lines. I really, I just, there's something in me that just, it just, it just jars with me when I hear every, all, all these political parties standing up and saying, this is our red line and we're not moving. And I find myself, I've, 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 I've done that so often within my relationships. I've done that so often within friendships and with, with different people from different denominations. And we want to draw up our own red lines. We want to take on our role as being the theological place and we want to divide the true believers from false believers. We take it upon ourselves sometimes to draw up red lines that are not ever even mentioned in this book. And so part of me would love to say this morning that I, I, I would hate that there would be anybody in this room that 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 uh, that having a, an opinion that is maybe that is many, maybe different from the person sitting beside you, that you would say nothing, that you would stay painfully silent. You would not engage with that, with that, with that thing that you're wrestling with. You end up holding on to it. I know, I know there's things in me that I've ended up, that I think, I, I, can't, I can't bring this out into the open. I can't share this with somebody. But I've found that, that, that I've needed to, because if I don't, I, I remain painfully silent. I say nothing that begins to eat me up if I don't have a way of sharing with people something something maybe different than I see. As I as I go through the, the New Testament, as I go through the, the Gospels, as I go through the letters of Paul, as I as I go through John's letters, as I read through James. Whenever I see the New Testament, whenever I see the New Testament speaking of unity, I think the vast majority of time it is not speaking of perfect 
doctrinal agreement. But it speaks of love. And that what, that what unites us in the church. What unites us in the church is love. And this maybe seems really simple. But that's what unites us in the church. What unites us in the, in the church is love. And flowing between us through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a guy, Adam McHugh. Just finished reading one of his books. And uh, towards the end, he, he pens these words. Our goal is unity, not uniformity. And we aim for genuine community, not artificial conformity. It's a bit of a mouthful. Let me go again. Our goal is unity, not uniformity. We aim for genuine community, not artificial conformity. That's what that means, is that we will disagree, sometimes bitterly, but we will stay at the table and keep listening to those that we disagree with. Our unity is in our commitment to listen to one another. There's times that we will, as part of the family of believers, that we'll disagree. We'll disagree on some things that we see in Scripture. But one of, one of the things that brings me such joy, and, and I've so appreciated it with certain people, I'm not going to embarrass them this morning, but, but people that go to the Scriptures and see things differently from, from how I see them. And often... We think, well, you see it differently. You're leading this church. That must mean it's time for me to, to move on and find someone that believes how I see it. And I've just so appreciated people that have, that have came and been part of, of this, this community, this family. And actually, I, I disagree with this, but I'm going to stay at the table. I find that, I find that so, I, find, I just so appreciate that. I disagree, but I'm going to stay at the table. Because our unity is in our commitment to love one another. Our unity, our, our unity is in our commitment to listen to one another. And my deep conviction is that if we do all of this really well, that we begin to answer the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. And it just seems to be the most... It just seems to be the most... Uh, there's so many different forms of evangelism. There's so many different types. There's so many different methods. But as we come to John 17, there seems to be the, the one of the most uh, sure, sure methods of success that you're going to find is that whenever that we, we behave like we are one, whenever we behave like there is one Father, there's one Lord, whenever we behave like there's one church and he is returning for one bride, that Jesus himself says in John 17, well, whenever they are one, whenever they live this out, the world will believe, the world will believe that, that you sent me, as Jesus says, what Jesus says to the Father. Whenever they live in such a way, when they live committed to loving one another, when they remain committed to listening to one another, when they listen for understanding, when they take their time, whenever they get rid of this spirit of criticism, whenever they stop drawing up their own red lines, whenever they begin to, if we begin to do this well, we answer his prayer and it authenticates, it validates, it proves, 
the message of Jesus. We, they will live as one, Father, as you and me are one, then the world will believe that you sent me. John 13, increasingly familiar with these verses. John 13, there's a new commandment that I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, I, I just am so convinced of the importance of this. So convicted of the significance of, of them. What will happen? What potentially happens when we speak well of one another? When we commit to one another? When we commit to unity? We live out, begin to live out what, what Jesus spoke, what he prophesied in John 13. And so we've been asking, David brought us there a few weeks back, that you would love, you would love your neighbor as yourself. We've been encouraging you with your self-talk. And as we think about loving your neighbor as yourself, we want to encourage you that you love and speak well of yourself. I think that we love our neighbor not just as ourself but as as we love the family of believers because being part of the church being part of the manifold wisdom of God being made known everywhere to everyone that's who that's who we are it's his heart and his purposes for you are always in the context of community See, we need each other. We need each other. I sat around my kitchen, ta- my dining room table. We moved it out of the kitchen, the dining room, and the dining room table with the guys that are that lead the church, lead the different churches in Richill. And I become aware every time in those moments that we need each other. I 100% need need every one of you guys. There, there is a deficiency that has been intentionally created within me because I need. I need you. And there's been a deficiency that's been created, I think, within our churches because we need each other. And there's things that there's things that that uh, in our conversations that there's times where I cannot fathom how you read the Bible and you've come up with that conclusion. But I'm naive enough to believe that whenever we unite and we love one another well and we and we have a commitment to listen to one another and to love one another that the world will believe that he's real. The world will believe that the Father sent him to seek and restore and save the lost. And so if we're going to talk about Rich Hill, I'm aware that we need, to see Rich Hill 1, we need every other church that makes up this community, every other denomination, every one of their traditions, every one of their understandings. And I'm naive enough and simple enough to believe that, that if I give my life to seeing the prayer of Jesus answered. It's the sure, the surest way of seeing people come to him. Now, so Father, I, I pray that you would knit our hearts together. There would be a knitting of hearts in this season. God, as we live in a day of, uh, as we watch our news, we live in a day of uncertainty, both locally, nationally, globally. We pray that there would be a, a knitting of hearts. There would be a, a unity that we've never experienced before. 
there will be a commitment to love one another so that in that we are we're showing that Jesus is the only way times of confusion and painful distraction we're saying that Jesus is the truth and he's the life we do that whenever we we live as one so Father I just pray you would help us to engage in this well I pray that you would challenge us God would be willing even to listen to the, the challenges that just even stir in our own minds today. The things that rise up within our own hearts through some of these things that we've tried to talk about. Also, God, we just pray that you would, uh, you would bless us. You continue to be with us. We love you. Continue to ask for that that great awakening would be an, an awakening for the world you love that your will be done thank you that's your desire it's your will it's your it's your heart that none should perish that none should miss out on the the joy that comes from knowing you and walking close to you. Thank you, Jesus.